welcome again to Unplug It as we track towards round 22. There's probably a little bit of a sombre feeling leading into this one on the back of what we all saw last week. We will dissect that. But the most important thing to remember, and I think it has been lost in a lot of it, is that, that we are still alive. There is still a pulse. It might not feel like it, given what that felt like on Sunday, but ultimately the season rolls on. A big thank you to uh, Michael Egan and Phil Deladakis for stepping in over the last couple of weeks. It's uh, nice to be back in the chair. As always, if you are a new or regular listener to Unplug It, leave us a review if you haven't done so on whatever your uh, platform is, so iTunes, Facebook, Spotify, etc. And you can jump on the socials and we're also on threads too, whatever that is. I'll have to get Nick to explain that to me at some point, but um, that is the <laughs> new mind. thing. That's right. But, but something that was my sort of wheelhouse when I was younger was Sensational. Uh, a lot of Saints fans probably built their own community through Sensational and got to know a lot of other people through that. We used to organise games of footy back in the day, which we might be able to talk about um somewhere down the line via Sensational, but head to sensational.net. It's basically a forum and a community where you can just chat about the Saints all the time amongst uh, like-minded brethren. But we'll bring the panel in. Finals still in our own hands. I think that's the important thing to remember. But Nick, I'll, I'll start with you. Um, looking at Sunday, first half, we were very, very good. The pressure was as good as I've seen it all year. And I think losses like that are some of the hardest to take. I mean, you can lose games by a point. You can lose games where you're terrible and you get beaten by 80 and you've got no idea what actually happened. But these are the losses that are, I think, hardest to take in that we had the game, certainly wasn't sewn up, but we were in complete control at halftime. Carlton couldn't score. Our, our run and carry was hurting them. Our pressure was all over them. And then we just stopped. Obviously, there were a couple of chances late in the second quarter to push the margin out further. We should have led by probably more than five goals, but it doesn't matter. We probably should have won anyway. Um, and ultimately, you, you walk away from a game thinking, are we ordinary in that we just stopped and, and they rose the bar and we couldn't go with them? Or did we lack leadership? Did we turn our toes up? Did the pressure get to us? Either way, it's a bad feeling, but you're just trying to figure out, I guess, just how bad. It was, I mean... Yeah, that, that's right. I mean, it's incredibly frustrating, first off, mm. incredibly frustrating. But when you look at it, I guess, holistically, it's a, it's a bit of our entire season in a, in a microcosm. You know, we played some very good football. It certainly wasn't our most polished football for, the, for you know, parts of, of the first half. But, you know, we outran them. We worked harder. Our work ethic was great. Our pressure was immense, like you said. And then... You know, I think I think there are a few things that cost us. Like you, you mentioned, those chances at the end of the second quarter. You know, there's Max King running into an open goal with with the defender trailing behind him. Gresham, instead of kicking the top of the square from the run onto, uh, turns and centers behind King. He's got to double back into two defenders. Yeah, that would have been a, a, essentially an easy goal that we've lost. Um, I think they went up and scored had a, had a shot at the other end after that. Uh, obviously, the, the holding the ball. Um, in the goal square to, to Butler. Um, the remarkable one. thing about that holding the ball, Nick, is that there are people who have watched the replay now and still think it was play on. Anyway. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Look, I, I don't, I don't know what to say. I thought I, I'm not one to bash umpires. I, I don't normally complain about umpires, uh, but I thought that was the worst game umpired I've seen this season. I thought it was awful. Um, and that was just one of, one of the poor, one of the poor decisions in a series of poor decisions over the, the course of the game. But 
you know, like I said, we 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 outworked them. Our pressure was good in the first half. Like you said, we we should have been five or six goals up at halftime. But then then the the script just flipped, right? Like they outworked us. They ran harder. They wanted it more. They outplayed us completely, and we just didn't go with them. We didn't go with them, and it just is incredibly frustrating when you see us play good footy in long patches. Uh, you see us play good footy and then just completely fall to pieces. And I don't know, I don't know how it happens. It's slow motion pain, H. Really, I mean, at three quarter time, you're eight points up, and you think you're still a chance if you can kick the first of the last quarter. And obviously, we missed that one on three quarter time with Max, and it was pretty early, obvious early in the last that we're in a bit of bother. But I think that's we've spoken a lot on this podcast about trust, I guess, and. One thing that I always trusted with St Kilda is that when they brought that level of intensity, they usually stayed that way and won when they had games like that. That's probably the first time I've seen that completely vanish within a game and that obviously rocks your foundations of trust a little bit, thinking, hang on a second, they could switch that off at any moment. Yeah, I mean, it was a game where we sent out two completely different teams from the first half and the second half and... As we said all along, it was going to be a match we had to take every opportunity we got. It was never going to be, a, oh, okay, we half play well, we win. That's exactly what we saw. We half played well. We played a brilliant first half and an absolutely ordinary second half. Um, I'd even say the fourth quarter, we didn't even turn up. Yeah, It was yeah. literally half the team did not turn up in the last quarter. Um, is pretty hard to watch when you sort of see your leaders steel crouch but the two of them combined getting one tackle between them in the last quarter and that was it nothing else um it's you, you sort of think where was that first half where did it go that first half we played football we were absolutely smashing the team who had just beaten the premiership favorites the week before we absolutely outplayed them like you would not believe and if if people gave you the opportunity to be 22 up at half time against carlton you'd be going where do we sign where give it give that to us now and let's start let's start from there it was it was a whole thing of what happened what did we change why did we change that, that and that's the question we kind of we want to know. Um, Carlton probably switched their game plan up a little bit, but we did react. We didn't allow for knowing that they were going to throw everything at it. Because they were always going to, they were always going to throw everything they had at that second half because there was no way they were going to accept that first half. And as we've seen a few times this year, we just weren't ready. We weren't ready for it. We allowed it to happen. And yeah, it's just, where is that stop button to stop a team doing that to us? Because, yeah, we've got to find it. We've got to find that button and go, stop teams doing that to us as soon as we realise, hang on, something's changed here and we need to get, get that momentum back again. Paco, I, I want to throw something at you because you weren't on last week, but we had a question uh, from the socials asking, what do we mean when we talk about Saints footy? You know, we talk about it a lot. It's on the socials. It's the hashtag, etc. Yeah. And I guess a little bit cheekily, like is Saints footy the first half of last week mm-hmm. or is it the second half of last week? Like what is Saints footy? Yeah, I'd say um, 
look, there, there's an ideal about what Saints footy is supposed to be, I guess. What it is isn't necessarily the same thing. I guess it's like North Melbourne <laughs> with a shin bone of spirit. I mean, if they lose by 100 points, it, it doesn't mean shit really. But I guess for, for us, it's, um, you know, I think we've built, certainly under Ross, you look at things like pressure, intensity, non-negotiables and that type of stuff. And I don't think, you know, I think we've been a lot better than, than people give us credit for. We've been in the eight all year and, and we're still a chance to stay there. Obviously, we've got a bit of work to do. I think there's been a fair bit of doom and gloom around a year that, that ultimately has been probably better than most people expected. However, I think, as H was sort of saying, there's been a few times this year where we've lacked maturity in key moments in matches. The Brisbane game with the occasion, um, dealing with the injuries against Melbourne, we kind of fought pretty hard, but there were times where we changed the way we were playing in that game. Certainly the Gold Coast, we should have seen that coming. Richmond in the first Richmond 300th, game, we yeah. should have seen that coming. We knew Carlton were going to come at us here. We were a bit lazy against Hawthorne the first time. Just little things like that that, you know, go away from those mantras of the non-negotiables. And I guess the last quarter of this game, I said that the wheel had turned. I mean, there are certain things in games, like you know that teams do certain things well and they can beat you in those areas and you can still beat them in the game. Like Carlton are a very good clearance side. You probably expect that they might edge you in that department. They might get a little bit more contested ball, but you can still win the game. But you can't win the game if you get absolutely obliterated in those areas. And I think mm. when Carlton hit the front in the second half, it was 18 clearances to two. Like you just yeah. cannot and- possibly compete. With that level, and of they domination. they were winning, they were winning the clearances exactly. in the first half, and that's okay. You know, when we, we were five goals up, yeah. they were winning the clearances. Yeah, and yeah. it was like I think it was twenty to sixteen or something, which is fair enough. As long as you're competitive in that area, you might get them in other parts. Mm. But we just could not touch the ball, um, and you can't get beaten that badly in a game like that. Uh, when you've got inside mids with you know guys like Steele and Crouch, as you say, Hunter Clark. I mean. We changed a few things up, which was a bit surprising. Obviously, Owens went out of the bounces. Sinclair moved up the ground to give a bit of polish. Stocker came on to replace Filippo. Our defensive and midfield structure changed a little bit. But um, I think Ross mentioned it in the press conference. We just couldn't lay a glove on him. It's, we could not get the ball. Um, and look, it's a surprise we lost by 19, to be honest. It felt like we were going to lose by seven mm. goals with that level of um, control. So. Yeah, it, it did feel like they were going to just mm. roll on in that last quarter. I mean, you had the, you had the point where was it Paddy Dow was being ready to be subbed, and I don't know, his son just clicked in his mind and kicked the goal. And next thing you know, he was the best player for the rest of the match. Yeah. Mm. He it just got off the chain, and um, everything just kind of worked for them in that. I guess quarter and a half right up to the end of the match. And we, we probably were, as you say, lucky to not lose by 40 points or so in the end. It was probably a, um, I mean, the fact that Wilkie only had one goal kicked on him. Um, and that was unlucky for himself as well. The, the fact that, uh, he had Wood who was following, um, I can't remember who it was that handballed it to Kurnow in the end, but, that was Wood's player. Wilkie looks up and sees the two players. He's had to chase both of them. Handball out, easy goal. Wood keeps his feet there. Wilkie keeps Kerno goalless. And mm. and that's that's just those simple little things that you go change just just those small things in a match and a result can change. 
Mm-hmm. And that that's just the small things we've got to work on, the small things we've got to find and change. And just, again, I think we've we've actually seen this week that hole that Dougal has left. We were talking about last week. Mm-hmm. It wasn't as obvious against Hawthorne because we did, well, it was it was reasonably obvious against Hawthorne. They, they mm. still played good football. Problems, yeah, yeah they, they, their forward line still worked well. We scored enough to counteract that. This week when we probably needed just, just that last defender to fill that hole, to take away that ball out of out of the back line to get that intercept mark and that sort of thing. Just, just, just to change it up because yes, we got a reasonable black line still, but just that experience and leadership that we had lost in that position. There's the other thing that probably changes how their forward line structured up. And um, it's yeah. Frustrating to see just, okay, that's, we're missing that. We know we're missing, we're missing that going in. I mean, yes, they didn't have Mackay either, yeah, it'd just be nice to have been able to capitalise on those that point we had where we were, yeah, four goals up. And as we're saying, should probably should have been five, six goals up at least. Mm-hmm. But there again, that's And look, psychologically, that changes the game. Like, people can talk about, oh, it's one umpire in decision. Five goals as opposed to four changes the game. Like, it doesn't mean you definitely win, but the, the task for Carlton is harder. So psychologically, they're different. We approach the second half differently. So... I won't cop that it didn't have an impact. It, it certainly did, but what can you do? Yeah. I, I want to ask you guys about the the structure. Oh, you talk about the structure, and we knew going in that things are not ideal without Dougal Howard. I think, like like we said last week, H, we kind of we I think we did, maybe not we, because I think we've kind of had agreed already in in the past. But I think the fan base as a whole kind of understood the value of Dougal Howard um, after the last couple of weeks, but. The structure changing throughout the game, uh, the sub of Filippo to Stocker. H, you and I spoke pre-game about who was going to be the sub and and what was you know what was that sub strategy. And I still have question marks about playing Stocker as a sub. I really like Liam Stocker. I think he's in our best twenty-two pretty much every week. Um, and and I wouldn't be dropping him, playing him as a sub. He'd, he'd be in the starting lineup. Um, but the impact of having a defensive type player rather than an impact player who can come on and, and go and make things happen, like a Billings or a Gresham, you know, a couple of weeks ago or whatever, um, I guess bothered me a little bit. But then the actual change to take Filippo off, who wasn't having a stunning game, but I thought he was having an impact when he did touch mm. the ball. When you know, I don't think he was awful. I don't think he was poor. I thought he was pretty good, actually. Um, and, and every time he got near it, something seemed to happen. So I was a bit confused by the by the change itself. Well, I mean, what did you guys make of that sub? Yeah, I also think of, of our lockdown defenders. Um, obviously, Webster had struggled a little bit in terms of some of the one-on-one stuff in recent times. And, yes, yeah, Stocker, I think he took 11 marks against Hawthorne and six intercept or something of that note. Mm. He, I thought he was in our best six or seven players in that game. Mm. So he was pretty stiff to miss out and it's interesting it goes back to early in the year when Ross said something about him at a presser saying that you know he's still got a bit of work to do when everybody was talking Mm. him up and I'm like there's something something that he's not liking or something I know he's made a couple of mistakes but on the most part not really he's been pretty reliable um 
has made good decisions, put himself in good positions, done some some really solid one percenter work. So, but he's also not the type of player that would be a sub. You don't have shutdown subs yeah. usually. I know they had um, Ed Kerner, who's a tagger, but um, yeah, it would have made had, more we've sense. We've had Patton. We've had Patton as a sub before, but if they've played him as a winger and in windy that and stuff, kind of, yeah, yeah, yeah. It would have made more sense, I think, to have Billings or uh, – I know Billings didn't play reserves either, so there might have been an issue there. Yeah. But even Bytel or something like that is sub. Yeah. Uh, I, and I wasn't I wasn't all that sold on the Billings sub either. I just don't feel he's been playing enough to have that impact that we may have needed. He, he played against Hawthorne, yes, went okay. But I just don't think he was going to come on and be – that match winner or something. It, it wasn't going to make that change that was going to win us the game. Um, it, it, whether we were trying to use Stocker as that maybe attacking defender rather than a shutdown defender, because he seemed to be playing loose rather than actually um, picking, up, picking up on someone. He was trying, I guess, trying to pick those, pick that ball off and, get us drive, drive us through the middle again. And, um, but yeah, I, I couldn't see, yeah. Billings being a match winner, match winner. If he was the one who was coming in, um, it, we probably, I don't know if, do we really have someone who we look at and go, wow, that would be a, that, that would be a sub that makes a difference to a game is mm. I, I just don't feel like we have that player. We don't have a, a player who's going to come on and, light the place up so it's, maybe but again he's too young yeah, so. yeah he's quite young it, 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 that's probably where the, gresham to be honest um, well because yeah, he's, yeah, he's lively probably the best like, I, know yeah. I know his decision making is poor but he's lively and crafty uh reasonably quick without being lightning and fairly clever around goal like he and unpredictable exactly so yeah he would be You'd almost play stalker and, and sub Gresham instead. Yeah, and that's mm. and that's probably a better yeah. idea to because mm. yeah, I mean, stalker should have been in the team as Nick was saying. He should have played. Especially There's no Carl doubt about Smalls, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, Motlock, and so just just that whole mm. situation there, you sort of just wonder what, yeah, what was happening there. So it's a one that maybe a decision that yeah, as we're saying, could be. Could have been a match changing decision, just the wrong way. Looking at the votes from that particular contest, I've made a little bit of a change on the run to mine. I initially had three Wood, two Crouch, but I've gone two to Mason Wood, uh, only based on a, watching some of the game back. I mean, he was he was very good with thirty six possessions and fourteen marks, a few turnovers, but I thought he was trying to make things happen. So he certainly gets an equal share of BOG. Brad Crouch, 31, 30 up till three quarter time. Uh, and Cal Wilkie uh, gets two votes for um, the job that he did on on Charlie Kerno. I was probably a little harsh on him to only give him one initially. I thought Butler should have kicked three in the first half, kicked two. I thought his pressure uh, was was telling, won a lot of holding the ball, free kicks. I thought Mitch Owens, first half especially, with clearances and possessions, but there's a lot of guys that are getting votes on first half work, and I thought he was taken out of a dangerous position a little bit, which limited him half to half time. I thought Wanganee Miller, uh, not his best game, but was solid enough, used the ball well enough. And, and I thought Hunter Clark, probably our second best midfielder over the course of the game behind Crouch, albeit again, sort of in and out of the game, but gets the one vote. Nick, how did you see it? Pretty similar. Pretty similar. I, I gave 
uh, a couple of blokes, two votes. Uh, I think you're right. I think Mason Wood would have been the standout BOG had he not had those was 11, 11 clangers, 11 turnovers, something mm. like that. And, and some of them were, were really distinct, you know, important turnovers a- across the wing and across um, half forward, which, which really impacted, you know, I think, I think three or four of those turnovers directly ended up with a shot on goal or, or a scoring attempt. Um, and so they, that was really important. Um, so I gave two votes to Mason Wood. I gave two votes to Cal Wilkie just for the job that he continues to do. Wasn't his, Greatest game, but he was very, very solid again. Um, I thought Rowan Marshall's performance was a bit underrated. Um, he just continues to work. Even when he's not dominating, he works himself into games, and I thought he used his body really well. Uh, he presented. He uh, yeah, he went forward and kicked the first goal of the game um, and was just was just an impact player for us. Um, and, and I think that he's just, you know, he continues to grow and develop as a ruckman. Um, and, I, and I think that he's he's a very very good player. Um, and I gave one to Josh Battle. I thought he was pretty good. And, and again, you know, Cal Wilkie gets a lot of the the plaudits, but I thought Battle was pretty good too. And then one vote each to Crouch, Butler, and Clark for all of the reasons that you've given already. H. Um, yeah, it was a fair spread this week. Um, trying to no no, I guess standouts um as as we've seen already and basically i gave two to a whole bunch of uh wood crouch battle and wilkie um i reckon josh battle's game was quite underrated i thought um i think it ended up 11 intercepts in the match um which yeah counter counteracted i guess wood's 11 turnovers so it was um yeah the two of them sort of cancel each other out there. So um, Crouch again worked hard until yeah, he disappeared in the last quarter. Um, but he wasn't alone. So that was that. Was that. Um, and then, yeah, gave one to Sinclair, one to Clark. Um, Clark started well, but I think he, he's another one that really dropped away. Um, I thought, yeah, I thought he was actually going to have a really good day to, after his first half there. But, yeah, he just didn't, didn't go... Go through from there. If he, I guess, if he probably repeated, repeated these first half, he, yeah, probably may have been, I guess, close to a, getting to a best on ground. But yeah, it was a, a bit, a bit of an, an annoying one where we, yeah, just these players who started well just didn't continue on. Yeah, a lot of players getting votes across the board because we didn't have enough, I guess, standout players, and it's probably reflective of the the lack of players standing up in the last quarter to put a stop to the momentum that was running against us. Our next special guest, we haven't had one for a little while, so good to check in back into the 90s, which has been one of our favourite eras to, to look back on. Very good footballer, obviously didn't finish his career with the Saints, but was an outstanding player during a brief period that he was with us as part of a dynamic forward line. I speak of Craig O'Brien. Out they come to meet it, and it was Grant taken away with Taylor. Got it over Shanahan now with the football. Into the centre of the ground, thumped away by Hinckley. Kicked off the ground by Dwyer. Steve Hocking had a chance, and a ricochets off an opponent's body to Pekin. Pekin to Anderson. Anderson can't pick up the football. Now he taps it further. Over towards his teammate, Harvey. Harvey handballs to O'Brien, and O'Brien kicks, and O'Brien goals for St Kilda. Anderson hurt for St Kilda. And that's goal number three to O'Brien. Brian and they lead by what 
30 points, do they? Yep. 30-point yep. lead now to uh, St Kilda. And boy, have they ripped the way to a quick start in this quarter. Well, our next special guest on Unplugged is part of a not-so-rare three-club club these days. But Craig O'Brien played 114 games across the journey with Essendon, St Kilda and Sydney. It included a grand final alongside his old mate Plugger at the Swans in 1996. But fair to say that St Kilda probably got the best of him. 52 games and 116 goals along the way, uh, including 53 goals in 1994, second only to Tony Lockett that year. Uh, Craig, thank you very much for joining us. Uh, it's a pleasure, guys. Hope you're all well. Going along nicely. So 114 games. I guess it's always curious when players split the allegiances across the three clubs. Obviously, you nearly won a flag with Sydney. You played some outstanding footy with the Saints and, and Essendon gave you the start. Where, where does your heart lie or is it a bit of all three places? Oh, look, I've, I'd have to say Sydney, to be honest, because I suppose when you when you move in a state, the only friends you've got are your footy friends. So... I probably met a lot more closer friends at Sydney than I did at the other two clubs. But having said that, you know, with all the AFL players that you actually play with, you probably only got a handful of close friends anyway. So then um, we talk about the plugger and these guys, and he's, um, I spent eight years. So, you know, I don't talk to him a lot, but when I when we do talk, it's, uh, you know, pretty close. And look, I coach his nephew at Broadbeach, so it's um, I've got a good relationship with the family still. Probably probably should have left that question to the end, so all the uh, all the St Kilda <laughs> listeners don't turn off now. I don't want to listen to you. I mean, so the, Sydney's, your, Sydney's your club now, but mate, you um you spent uh, a little bit of time at the Bombers. I think people probably forget about that period of your career. How did you end up uh, coming to to Moorabbin from Essendon? Oh well, look back back in those days, it was it was actually an area. So I was you know obviously playing at Mornings Peninsula, and the zone that time was Essendon. So um, we used to get taxis up to training and taxis back to Rye. And we'd have about three or four stops on the way back. And then got to the period there where I was um, actually trying to get a game ahead of when Shirty went on his rampage and got all these South Australians, Western Australians. And it was just hard for us to get a game. You know, like it was Ann Traverse, Buicks. I mean, you know, there was just so many Greg Andersons, Kieran Spawns. There were so many players there they brought across. And we just couldn't get a game ahead of them, so I just got too frustrated. And I just said, look, I've got to get out because I thought I was doing a good enough job. in the games I did play, I thought I was doing well enough to hold my spot. But it's just a pecking order, and I suppose if they're paying big money for these guys to come over, they always used to get first crack at it. So there's a few of us that got a bit disappointed with that and, and look for new homes. So when you did come across, you sort of you pretty much played half the season in the first year. Did, did, did you come across thinking, I'm going to get a game most weeks or... It was it a case of look we're we're bringing you in we're going to give you a go and see how you slot in. Well, look, it was I actually got rubbed out for ten weeks, believe it or not, my first year at St Kilda. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I didn't go there and set the world on fire. And uh, and what I did is when I actually went away from the club for a while, and I trained with a boxer called Frank Ropus, who was Australian champion. So I kind of got myself pretty fit, and I think I played five games towards the end. It might have been. 92 or 93 in the reserves and I did pretty well and then that kind of put me in good stead for the year after and then once I got an opportunity it was it was you don't really believe you've made that level of footy until you play consistent and I had a couple of standout games and then you know you've got a bit of luck and your body stays in there and it doesn't get injured then you can get yourself peak fitness and I think towards the end of 90 might have been 93 or 94 I started to you know become a forward play next to Tony we had a good relationship and 
one thing led to another, and, and that's that's how I ended up down at St Kilda. Yeah, those last six games in 93, kick six against Geelong, four against North, four against Sydney, four against Carlton in a rare win at Princess Park, and five against Richmond in the last yep. game. Um, slotting into a forward line, obviously got Lockett. I know Stuart Lowe had some injuries a little bit during that period, but Lowe at centre-half forward, Lockett at full forward. You must feel like, you know, a lot of balls going to get directed through those guys, and was it, was it a balance of it might be hard to get a kick with, with the big boys down there, or was it a case of I'm going to get the third banana with them here? Yeah, look, it was, I was pretty lucky, fortunate enough that I could... I used to play a lot of guys who were a lot smaller than me, and because I could, I suppose, take an overhead mark, I kind of got under the guard a lot of the time, especially early in my career, because such a focus was on, you know, your your lows and your lockets, that you did get off the chain a bit, and they tend to drop off you a bit. And if you can find... Um, space and behalf, dangerous, where you actually can get used. And once they start to use you, they get more confidence in you and, and you become a bit of a focal point when you know that the other two might be held. I think there was a game there I think that we played at the MCG. I think we kicked 16 goals between the three of us. And But Lowe, played up the ground a lot more and I had a really good relationship with Tony. One thing I learned was not to get in his way. Uh, we had we had an intra-club practice game at Moorabbin and this bloke uh, called Ian Dargy came over from Western Australia and he was a pretty solid sort of a player. Anyway, he was in the opposite team to Tony and myself and Plug goes, listen, mate, don't just don't get me away like he's that again. Uh, he did it again and Plug put him on a Jordan frame. So I um, thought, well, I've got to stay behind him because he's such a big, powerful man. And, and I got a lot of the kicks over the back because they were focused on him and and then it came to a point there where the games that he wasn't there, I actually probably performed a little bit better because I was a bit more of a focal point. Just before uh, you jump in, Nick, I reckon that was uh, the game at 94 against Essendon at the MCG where St Kilda actually kicked 18 goals too. I think yeah, that was all right. Yeah. At the post, the, the two times they missed. And yeah, Plugger kicked six and yourself and Stewie kicked four each. So that's a fair old picnic for, uh, for the forwards that afternoon. Oh, look, we, and I think when you look back now, when you look at the talent that we did have, I think we really underachieved when you had, you know, uh, Low, Lockett, obviously, Winmar, Burke, Harvey. You know, we had a pretty good side. And if you had that sort of calibre in your sides in the AFL now, I think you'd be a bit disappointed if you didn't, you know, be performing regularly in the finals, considering that we were getting beat pretty easily a lot of weeks there. So... I think looking back now, we had a lot of talent, but just didn't, didn't think we performed to our maximum potential. Craig, what was it that clicked for you kind of halfway through 93? I mean, you kicked seven, eight in your first six games in 93 and then ended the season with 24-8 as we kind of touched on already. What was it that, that changed for you, I guess, at, at that point? And, and what was the message kind of post-93 heading into, into 94, which was really kind of your, your, your big break in, in the forward line there? Yeah, look, I just, I just think I had to get the body right and just stay fit. Um, I, I came across, I, I was pretty, pretty much of a hothead as a young fella, and I, I suppose you, you probably get a bit impatient. You just want to play the best footy you can, and you know, you, at that stage, I hadn't proved myself to anyone. So you had to get fit, um, you know, have a bit of luck, and, and all of a sudden, when you do have that one little bit of luck, it actually changes for you. And once I did have that bit of luck, I got the confidence. And then the players around you get confidence in you and you become more of a team-involved player than rather than being a bit selfish and trying to do it yourself. But having said all that, you know, like, and the role kind of suited me better. I played in the, when I was at Essendon, I played more as a midfielder, but I suppose going forward, it probably helped my game a little bit, you know, because I probably wasn't fit enough and didn't have the engine to play as a midfielder, whereas a forward, you can, 
generally get away with it back in those days. I'm not too sure you do that now. But and as I said, because I was kind of a strong, strongest sort of player, I used to get small back pockets. I could generally outmark them. I think that's helped me a lot. So talking about playing alongside Plugger, getting out of his way, have you setting a role, that sort of thing. Was was there any particular rules he may have? walked up to you and given you or a piece of advice for a particular day to say, just just don't come near me today or something like that? Is there any situations you can recall? Oh, look, he was an angry man, very angry man on the footy field. But look, he had a lazy eye and he and I only I knew that. So if you watch a, a bit of footage, he'd like to lead to the left uh, because he had a lazy right eye. So he couldn't really focus on the ball. He actually, he ended up getting an operation. So I'd lead to the other side. And that way we had a, a really good connection there. But a lot of the time too, it depends on who you played on. So if I played on, I mean, I played on Ross Smith, who's a very good defender at North Melbourne. I couldn't get a kick on him and he mentally had me shot. And, you know, it wasn't until I got to Sydney that I learned how to beat him. That was get him up the ground and work him back into the, into the forward line. He didn't like getting out of his comfort zone. So when you do that, you lose him in traffic. You can tend to score a bit. So a lot of it came back to... Okay, if, if I was having a good period, like I used to play Andy Collins a bit and I had a lot of size on him, Plugger would actually let me go in front of him. So he was a, as good as he was, he was very unselfish. He'd go, look, you're having a good period. You get up the ground, you do your work, and then I'll come in behind you. So once we had that good understanding, and we spent a lot of time together off the field, so we were kind of more mates than football buddies. So it kind of really worked, and we and we both respected each other's role. But look, when someone when Tony Lockett's in the forward line, you, you feel like you're bulletproof. Really, I mean, he used to tackle blokes and hurt blokes, and you used to run around being cheeky because you knew he was right in your corner. He'd look after you, <laughs> and that was a real positive. Wouldn't have any goals, he would have kicked if uh, if both the eyes worked. It would have been, yeah. <laughs> well, look, imagine, imagine, just we all talk about it, and we and we kind of have jokes like that. But imagine how many goals he would have kicked now. Yeah, with you can't hit the hands, you got a six six six, and he was kicking hundreds of goals and sides that were winning three and four games a year. Yeah. So anyone keeps saying how great he was. He, I mean, he's the best ever. And, and I don't think people. I think people understand. But until you've actually seen what he did against poor, you know, in a poor side for so long, how good the man really was. Yeah, and a phenomenal kick for goal in the elements. So under the roof at Marvel, it's hard to see him missing too many these days yeah. in, in footy. Uh, so '94, obviously, the other transition was going from Ken Sheldon to Stan Elves. Obviously, he kicked 53 that year, seven against Geelong in a narrow loss, six against Brisbane at the Gabba. And a couple of other good days. How did you find the difference between Kenny and uh, and Stan? Oh, look, it's a, it's a good question because Stan Elves was more of a friend before he got the coaching job. Like, I used to go down to training early and do a lot of skills with him. And we'd kick goals in the boundary line. He was such a nice sort of a guy, Stan. And and he just he was a real young kid. Like, he, he re- related to a lot of us young guys really well because... He'd get there, he'd put the time into us. Probably didn't know he was ever going to coach there. But I think the one thing that um, people don't understand is when secure like that. I thought Kenny Shelton was great for my career, but I reckon he was overshadowed by Peter Hudson as a coach. And um, I think I think halfway through the year or towards the end of the year, they sacked Peter Hudson. And Ken Shelton uh, was a completely different coach. He was a lot more fun to be around. And we had some lot better results when... Peter Hudson had gone. Um, I mean, we were doing some things at training and we we're looking at each other and go, what are we doing these training drills for? We had a, we, I don't know if you noticed Waverley, but it was, it's a pretty big ground and we had um, Russell Morris, who was a beautiful kick. We, we'd come through the middle of Waverley and kick the ball to the wing to Russell Morris. 
He's caught and Peter Hudson is going, let's kick, kick it to Larry the Lurker. Well, you're actually going away from goal when you've got Lockett low and one into the ground and you're running through the middle and kick it to the wing. And we're going, what's going on? You know, what's happening here? So then, then I think Ken Sheldon started to relax more as a coach and I thought he coached really well and you could see in our performance on that year that it was a shame to see him go. But then when Stan Ellis took over, um, we didn't lose our friendship, but he became that coach. You've got to respect that role. And, you know, he, he didn't come down with the kicks with us and all that, but Stan was a very respected person. But it got to a point there where I'm not too sure if the club had a lot of respect in Stan Ells because I saw him with Sydney on the Friday night and Stan Ells rang me on the Saturday afternoon and asked why I wasn't at training on the Saturday morning. And I thought, I said, oh, I said, are you serious? I said, I saw him with Sydney. And he goes, what? Are you serious? I said, yeah. I saw him with Sydney for three years. And he wasn't even informed. So I'm not too sure what was going on there because, you know, I had some good years at St Kilda and I wanted to stay at St Kilda. But when they, you know, there was Lowe, Burke and Winmar all signing in that same time, there was just no money left. And for my future, I had to go and look after myself because, you know, the game's very short. And I got every time I spoke to Sydney, there was an offer I couldn't refuse in the end. And then we just decided to go. And I didn't want to go. I had, you know, I love St Kilda and I still... Uh, probably one of the not a big regret, but one of the regrets was that they they didn't give me a three year contract, which you know I'll probably still be in Melbourne. I mean, just just on that, I mean, obviously St Kilda's known over over history as having basically no money, you know, being in debt all the time, not being able to pay players, etc. But what was the? And you don't have to go into details if you don't want to. But seriously, like one to one comparison, you know, what you were getting at St Kilda to what Sydney offered you, like how big a difference was it? Double. Yeah, and back then, I mean, I was I was only on. Look, I mean, it's chicken feed now. I was on about sixty five thousand a year at St Kilda, and I wanted to stay for three years. I would have played for eighty five or ninety a year, but when I first spoke to Sydney, it was a hundred plus. It ended up being one hundred and thirty for three years, and moving everything up there. So you know that, and but they had concession picks too. So what actually happened is I got traded for Jason Daniels because you know Sydney could have taken two uh, three concession players anyway, and. Uh, they took uh, there was myself, Stewie Maxfield, and um, Kevin Dyson, um, but because they weren't going to get anything for me, they swapped um, swapped me for Jason Daniels. So I end up, you know, <laughs> Jack ended up hacking St Gilda. Uh, but yeah, look, and it was it wasn't wasn't a hard decision in the end. I mean, it, I didn't want to make it because you know I'd never been to Sydney. You know, everything I thought about Sydney was, you know, the, the brothels and King's Cross and all that, the bad parts of Sydney. Well, I, that's all we ever did when we played up there. We used to go to King's Cross, but. Once I got up there, and it was a big move. I moved up before my wife had moved up. Tony Lockett was living in Engadine, and that was about an hour from the SCG. And we used to travel in there, and I was, I'm thinking, oh, this can't go on. You know, like it was just too far out. We get stuck in traffic every day, and it was like you're always in the car. So it wasn't until my wife moved up that I got more comfortable, and then we started playing. And because you don't know anyone there, you become very good friends with your close people that you play footy with, and then you travel with them. So that's so I think why interstate clubs have the advantage over the Melbourne teams because they get very close off the field and so do their partners. So 93, 94, 95 was a, it was a period that we, like just after 91, 92 finals, we were sort of there and thereabouts. We weren't bottomed out. We weren't making finals, but we're winning plenty of games, just missing out on finals. I think 93, yeah. we missed out by two games, but we were... 14th on the ladder or something it was it was 
pretty crazy season where it was really close. Um, what do you think might have been just that one thing we may have need just to push us through with those couple of years there that might have pushed us over the line? Look, it's a, that's a really good question because we did have a lot of talent, but we just kept falling short. But we'd go out and play against a team and we'd look like the premiers. We'd be so good some weeks, hmm. but then we'd be so poor weeks after. Um, but I, I think a lot of that could be culture-driven too because Costin Kilda's always had that, oh, they've won one flag over so many years. And the supporters probably keep saying, oh, you know, we're going to miss out again, we're going to miss out. There was none of that. Hey, we're going right. Let's support and let's get right behind. It was always, oh, here we go again. So, and that can sometimes bring a group down, as in it's all negative. Um, so, the difference between, say, coming from Essendon and St Kilda was a really shock to me because Essendon were a very powerful um, professional club that, you know, just the way they operated were completely different. It was like going from, looking back now, from an AFL to a, a Mornington Peninsula. Um, you know, the way they trained, the way they had their off field set up. So, I think that had a lot to do with it that we didn't have the right infrastructure to make us a professional team. Um, and then when we go to, when I ended up going to Sydney, it was completely different. Like we had Rodney Ede, we are on the verge of being um, a good side. Um, we had the, NR, um, the NRL war with the Super League. So, um, and we lost our first five games or four games, got booed off the SCG. To finish minor premiers was massive. So then we had all you know, Sydney people going, how great are the Swans? And that was just a boost that you needed, whereas, oh, how shit are the swans? You'd probably still be shit now. So I just think it's a culture thing with St Kilda people that, hey, they're going to come good at some stage, but get support and why they're not good. And then the players get that confidence on the footy field and they deliver because we did have talent. We had a lot of talent. Yeah, well, I just wanted to, to ask, I mean, how does that change? Having come from somewhere like Essen and played it at Sydney, but who controls that culture change? Is it from within the club or is it the fan base? Like, how do you see that changing at a club like St Kilda? I mean, we talk about, you know, you talk about the shin bonus spirit. You talk about, you know, the, the bloods at Sydney. And, and what the bloods is, it's a, it comes from the hierarchy. You know, they, they don't accept mediocrity. They've got to be fully in control of what's happening. And if you look back at security, there was a lot of the hierarchy we had issues with off the field and stuff like that. So when you talk about blood, you know, blood's for life, it's, it actually is a culture. So you, you don't want to do anything wrong. You really love doing the best you can, but you're getting pushed to be the best you can. So, you know, we talk about, you know, the, the Richmond when they were strong, you know, they felt indestructible because you're so good off the field that you become a powerful unit on the field and if you can't get off the field right you're never going to get on the field right and I've even noticed that you know coaching at you know Queensland footy that if you don't get it right off the field you've got no chance on the field and I think St Kilda never got it right they didn't really have a home they didn't know where they were going now they're playing at you know Moorabbin and they're moving to Waverley so a lot of that stuff you know like the the culture of the disco after the games was great for the players but is that what really was required for St Kilda to be a better football team so if you look at the it's driven standards get driven by you know the people around them and they've got to stay driven those standards and then you need your senior players to carry on driving those standards and setting them higher and when you get that we had some great leaders in Sydney in Paul Kelly's Paul Ruse Mark Bays so when you got there it was a different direction but at St Kilda you didn't know really who your leaders were because your good players were only 22 23 in your Harveys and that. So who was that leadership group that was going to take you to the next level? And I think that's where St Kilda failed back then. I mean, Danny Ford was a great leader, but who else was with him? Because a lot of guys used to come from other clubs to St Kilda 
so they didn't really have leadership because they were just trying to make a name for themselves. It's funny. It, it echoes some some parallels, that's for sure. But uh, Nick, you had a uh, you had another one there, I think. Oh, uh, one that I was gonna I was just gonna wait till last. But Craig, you <laughs> you alluded to it at the uh, at the top of the show about being suspended in '92. Now there's a story behind what happened in in '92, and it's a bit of a strange one. Not I don't think too many people can say that they've been suspended after a after a VFL game. So can you tell us tell us a bit what happened there? Oh, uh, look. I, I reckon I got seven weeks of rocking up in overalls. That's what I reckon happened. Anyway, <laughs> I was playing. Um, I was playing down at Geelong, and um, I was playing on Michael Mansfield. Anyway, I was probably frustrated because I wasn't probably playing um, senior footy. Anyway, he kept pinching me. You know, like and I hate I hate players that pinch me. I have got something against it. And I said, "Listen, if you pinch me again, I'm going to whack you." So he kept pinching me. So I whacked him right, <laughs> and I hit, got him well, and then. I didn't get reported or anything. He, had, he went off the ground with Claret and he came back on and he's going, I'm going to get you. I said, yeah, right, whatever. Anyway, after the game, the umpire came up and said, I'm reporting you. I said, well, what for? And he goes, striking. I said, why are you reporting me after the game? The Geelong runner went up and told um, the umpire what had happened. So as so I go to the tribunal on the um, it was Tuesday night, anyway, I rocked up in overalls because I was stuck on the other side of Melbourne. I couldn't get home to get changed. I still have my pencils in the bib and brace overalls. So I've rocked in there, looked at me to say, are you serious? So I go in there anyway, I, I get on the, um, the um, you know, the face thing because Mansfield couldn't get there. And he got up and goes, yep, he stood toe to toe and he blatantly punched me in the face. All right? So the umpire didn't even see it. Then the umpire got up and blatantly lied. Because if he had to seen it on the spot, he would have given me, he's just reported me. So I'm out in the car park leaving there and he's pulled up next to me. I thought, oh, I was fucking irate I was. <laughs> so he's pulled up next to me at the lights at Punt Road and I've looked at him. I thought, right, I've, I've, I've had this bloke. And anyway, I've got a, um, I had a uh, XA GT ute you know, with half the motor hanging out of the bonnet back then. <laughs> anyway, so I've gone left and he's gone left with me. Anyway, he's gone right and I thought, I'm going to chase him. So I pulled up beside him at the lights. <laughs> and I reckon I'm about, I don't know, a centimetre from the back of his car. You know, so he's going through Punt Road and I'm following him. And I thought, oh, because we only had a pub in Richmond, so I was going to go back to the pub there and stay there the night. So I pulled in there and he went through the red light shit himself and then I find out that I've been done for racing an umpire after a tribunal. <laughs> so I go back to the I go back to the tribunal and they got the colour of the car wrong, they got all the streets wrong and uh, they gave me another seven weeks. So I've got ten weeks. <laughs> Must be the only bloke to be be suspended for chasing an umpire. (laughs) And then without a word of a lie, the year after I played and I was playing good footy at um at Waverley and I'm walking down the change rooms at Waverley. Anyway, I've turned around and there he was, his name was Graham Fellett, and I've looked and I've thought, Oh, here's a perfect opportunity. He was working for St John's Ambulance at the time. He saw me and he went white and I reckon he needed his own treatment. But what had happened, right? What had happened? The week after that, he actually got um, – we made the paper again for a player chesting him in one of the – in a game. So it kind of looked in my favour that the umpire was out to make a name for himself. Otherwise, I probably would have got 10 years. <laughs> so, <laughs> I got, and people still bring that up, you know, like – well, what happened to that umpire? How do you know about that? That was uh, years and years. That was black and white papers back then. <laughs> so anyway, so I got ten. But that's that's when I went and trained with the boxer. Mm. So 
Uh, and that got me fitter and maybe more hungry, I suppose. If I didn't get the seven weeks, I wouldn't have got fit. And then, you know, I don't know where I could have ended up. <laughs> yeah, no, we we do our we do our research on on this show. So. <laughs> But there's a photo there of me walking out with a bib and brace overalls on. And I think that's what, why I got the seven weeks. The, the segue into that, that you, you drove behind an umpire on Punt Road. But, um, but the last one for me, <laughs> how many weeks, I think I asked you off air at the start, in that 96 grand final, is it footage of David King sliding in studs first and, and nearly killing you yeah. at the MCG? How many weeks would he have got for that now? I mean, if you're getting oh, 10 look, for chasing an umpire. Yeah, you'd be minimum 10 now because it was deliberate. So... I mean, look, that, I suppose that's when you look back at one of the disappointing things of your footy is, is it is hard to make a grand final and to only last as long as I did. And I suppose um, I had to get stitched up without any anaesthetic because if I had to put um, anaesthetic in my eye, I would have um, it would have closed over. So that was an experience itself with getting 12 stitches with no anaesthetic um, and end up with a cracked cheekbone, which I didn't know until obviously got x-rays a week after. But yeah, look. You look back now, and, and what, what really gets under my skin is you hear someone like David King going on there saying, oh, you shouldn't be allowed to do that. It should get weeks and weeks. <laughs> you know, have a look at the video. And, and a mate of mine always brings it up when King says something, he texts him, goes, oh, that clown's at it again. He should have got fucking life and all this. So, <laughs> um, but that's just, the, look, that's the way the game is now. If you look at it now, it's, yeah, the, they're a lot fitter, but it's a lot softer. I mean, you know, look what Tony K, um, Plugger did to Caven. You know, he would have got five years <laughs> on the incidents that are happening now. And some of them now are just unrealistic. And, and now if you have a look at the, you know, the sling tackle, well, players are now just, you know, going to the ground because they are getting slung. It looks worse. They'll bring in a rule now that if you fake a sling tackle, you'll get reported for that. So where's it going to stop and start? And you can see it's very, it's such a grey area when you see that happen. It's just like changing any rule to... That, oh, to yeah. Um, go against another rule. It, it just <laughs> rolls one into the other. So yeah, that's a yeah. And see, and Brad Scott, you know, he's come back as coaching, and he's brought a lot of these rules in. Mm. Yeah, and a lot of them just they're just not right. Like the, as I said, the, the and what happens now if you don't get slung tackle, the ball stays in play longer because the umpires don't blow the whistle. Mm. They can have a patch there where you know, it's a tackle after tackle, and they don't blow the whistle. But as soon as someone's in a position to you know, apply a sling tackle, they blow the ball. And it gets a blow it gets spooled up, so then it stops momentum. It's just it's so grey, and and we all mm. see it. I think we all hate it to be honest, because it does. It's it's just not what footy's about. And to finish off um, this year, 150th year at the club, we've been asking everyone who's come on here this year, basically just for yourself, a word, a something, a a phrase, anything that to you. What is the St Kilda Football Club, and what what does it yeah mean to you, and that or in that sort of thing? Oh, look, it means a hell of a lot to me. I've still got a lot of good friends that I, you know, because I was going through that young period there, and my wife's friends with a lot of them. But it felt like a home, put it that way. You, you go there, and it feels like because it's not over the top, it feels like a home, and, and I think that's one of the good things about it. There's good, there's great people there, but unfortunately, they just they've just been starved of success. Yep, I think that's a fair summary across the board. Craig, thank you very much. It's been great to reminisce on the journey and um, hope all is well. Just, I guess, a final one. What are you up to these days? Uh, I coach Broadbeach in the um, State League up here, which is good. We've got um, a lot of ex-AFL players up here. I Tony Lockett's brother's um, son plays for me, which <laughs> is good. 
and Tony lives up the road, but we don't see him. He never comes out. <laughs> um, so I've got um, we've got yeah, we had Jared Harbrow playing for us last year. I've got Nick Melcheski, who is my assistant coach this year. So it's it's good footy. It's uh, we we produce a lot of um, good kids that like Alex Davies played for us. There's a couple of kids coming through next year that might be drafted. Jake Rogers, who has had a really good um, Alloys Carnival. So yeah, we're, we're a developing team, which means we you know we play kids all the time and. They're in and out, and we push guys into the VFL teams as well. So I've been there for four years. I was in central Queensland for eight. Um, we won six flags, and we won the most consecutive games ever up there, um, 120-something games in a row, which only got mm-hmm. broken this year. So I, I coached there for a while, and I'm back on the Gold Coast for the last four years, and, and probably been my last year as coach, and I'll – I'll probably hand over to someone like Nick Malcheski, who's a bit of a footy nut, and I think the transitions right now that you know bring someone like him in. He's highly respected. He's he's been a great assistant coach. I think he's ready to take over, and I'll just get involved and direct a footy or something like that. Fantastic! It's uh, been been great to to reminisce, and great that you're still involved in the game, and obviously Bugger geographically still close to you. Spent a long time next to him, and. Not too far away again, but thanks very much for uh, for joining us uh, on the show this week. Uh, thanks for thinking of me, guys. It's always a pleasure. There's Craig O'Brien, or I think windscreens, as uh, Rex Hunt used to call him, obviously. But uh, <laughs> we head across to Maddie's match, obviously, a bit later in the season. We have played Richmond once already this year, but that was their home game at the MCG in, in monsoonal conditions for Trent Cotchin's 300th game. There were some rumours floating around that he might retire this week just so Richmond could shaft us twice in the same season. But we'll... <laughs> Hopefully that doesn't eventuate. Um, obviously, they rested the majority of their stars and effectively conceded defeat to a finals contender last week, which was nice of them to give them the four points and then bring them back this week. But we'll see how we go for, for this. We, we generally match up all right on the Tigers. Even earlier in the year, we, we did. It. Marvel Stadium is not their favourite venue by any means. Um, and we have had a pretty good record against them there. Obviously, the significance of Matty's match donning the, uh, the purple this week in some way. But... At least changes-wise, H, we've got a few more things to look at. I mean, Sandringham played the Preston Bullants, who were one of the battlers in the VFL, certainly. But Tim Membry, 20 possessions, 11 marks and four goals is the best he's looked all year at, at either level. Jack Hayes was solid. Isaac Keel is the other one that continues to interest. Kicked three and, and moved well again. Uh, might not be quite ready, but I think he's destined to play some footy for us eventually, but but not now, maybe. Um, and the other one would obviously look, Bytel's had mid-30s, I think, um, but I'm not sure Ross is a huge rap. Um, then it comes down to Caulfield, potentially, but you'd think Membry, Hayes and Caulfield would be in the mix. Um, and obviously there's a number of players that would perhaps need to be dropped. Do we look at, look, Filippo, Probably need has needed a rest since about round seven, but has, has kept mm. sort of playing. Caminiti, maybe um, for for similar reasons. Um, how would you be looking at this week? Um, it's it's tough because I, I don't feel like we have a lot of maybe like for likes mm. sort of thing that we're looking to looking to drop and looking to bring in at the same time. Um, yeah, whether we're whether Gresham does get pushed back out to the sub position now, finally, after we might be able to, um, yeah, might actually be able to do that now. We've got a few players back in and, um, I mean, Sharman's keeping his spot at the moment. So he he's not going to get dropped for, for um, 
memory. Um, Hayes, is, do we are we bringing a second ruckman in? Because mm. that's that's what they're talking about playing him in that sort of role. Um, and looking through the names, the only sort of name you're looking at and go, well, Cordy, is he going to be the one who gets dropped? But Probably. are we but more looking to use back. him as a backman? Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's it's it, it's a lot of shuffling going to happen this week by the looks of it. Um, Caulfield, I think, I think Caulfield's best 22 when he's up and about. Mm. I, I I would be having him in the team. Before he get, got injured, he was playing very good football. And he, he's quite valuable for us. But we need to find a spot for it. And that and that's going to be part of the issue. What how we're we going to slide in. I mean, um Stocker's almost taken part of that role when you look at it. Um is is he gonna be the unfortunate one who makes way for Caulfield? But he doesn't deserve to be dropped. There's some real issues there going, okay, who are we, who are we going to go with? Um, yeah. Philip, as you say, Philip probably needs that rest. Um, we've probably taken too long to do that. Um, it's, it's, we probably should have rested him probably mid year just, just to have a week off just to, he's, he's looked like he, he, absolutely took off absolute on fire to start with. And it's just as the season gone, just, just slowed a little bit. He picked up a little bit the last couple of weeks. Um, but yeah, it just hasn't quite got up to that speed of the game yet. Um, and yeah, maybe get, go back to VFL, have a bit of, bit of a run around, bit of fun, bit of get a, get 25, 30 touches. Show us. Yeah. Just, just get some real football into your hand. And, um, I mean, eight touches, yes, kick the goal. It's not a massive contribution to what we had on the weekend. Um, but, yeah, he, he's only young. He, youngest player in the league, as we know. And, and he's going to build. And he's going to keep building. But I think we've just, just pushed him a little bit too far. So, yeah, it's probably... There's your one, but the other two, I'm, I'm struggling to find who maybe that would be. It's yeah, hard to, hard to pinpoint someone right, right here, right now. Yeah, I, I think you're, you're both right. I think Philip, especially given he was the one that made way as the sub, mm. um, or for the sub on the weekend. I thought that was kind of, kind of telling in, in, especially as a tactical sub that it was him that came off. Um, for Stocker, I, I feel like Membry, Membry comes in for for Filippo. I think Hayes comes in for Caminiti. I think he's just a little bit off. He's not quite as complimentary to Max as we thought maybe he would be. Um, whereas Hayes is is you know, big body, bash and crash, can hit out in the you know chop out in the ruck, um, can can play multiple roles, but really is a big body to to, to take some contested mark pressure off off Max and and really kind of be a, a big body leader in that in that forward line alongside the more agile and versatile memory and and you know the the racehorse in in Max King and then Caulfield I think is is the one and I don't know it's a tough one I, I feel bad for saying it but I feel like it's Ryan Burns is is someone who who comes out if 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 it is something like Gresham goes back to being the sub and and Stocker comes onto the field, which I think is possibility, and and I, I don't mind that. 
Um, yeah, I think Caulfield's shown in the last couple of weeks, he's got a bit of that dash back. Um, yeah, there were some, some good highlights of him uh, on the weekend for Sandy, you know, pushing through the middle, um, impacting, delivering really nicely. Um, and I think that he's, he's more of a thoroughbred than, than Ryan Burns. I think Ryan Burns has, has been a goer. He's tried. Yeah, I think he's done a lot of things right this year. Um, and it's probably a bit harsh, but yeah, I think we need to see what Nick Caulfield can do. And um, we need to get him back in the team because I think you're right, H. He's, he's best 22 when he's, he's fit and firing. Yeah, I think Ross likes him. I just get that impression, or he would like him the way he plays. I think he's certainly one who's in the mix. And yeah, the two Ruckman thing is interesting. Obviously, if you're going to play memory, which I think they need to, um, you would then probably have to leave someone like Caminiti out in order to play Hayes. We've mm. seen Caminiti and, and Owens do a bit of ruck work at times. Even Sharman and, and Cordy have done that. Cordy would be vulnerable, but can play at both ends of the ground. Obviously, Richmond don't have Tom Lynch, but they've got obviously Rewalt. Um, they're playing Noah Cumberland at the moment uh, in that forward half, but, but they obviously play a lot of those smaller players. Bolton goes forward and, and these sorts of players, but Dusty will, will spend a fair bit of time down there as well. But a few listener questions before we get to some awards and some final thoughts on that. Paul asked the question, if we would have won if Paddy Dow was playing for us instead. Well, I guess if we believe the off-season rumours, we'll have Paddy Dow and Carlton will have Gresham. So I was going to say, the flip side is, would, would we have won if Gresham had been playing for them? Yeah, yeah well, well yes, that's, that's right. Yeah. yeah, I actually offered the Carlton fan stand next to me that trade at half-time and I was told where to go. <laughs> so, <laughs> I mean, Pat Dow had even done that much at that stage and it just, just tells how much the Carlton fans don't want mm. Gresham. Um, so, it's a yeah interesting situation to see how that goes. Agree with, with Wayne, obviously, he says Machido is the next five. Why take him out of the middle when we're screaming for a tall, fast midfielder? FMD, uh, look, I agree with that. I thought that was a strange move. I actually thought he was hugely influential mm. at the bounces early in the game, nine in the first quarter, 14 in the first half. And I think we got a bit spooked by a few other things that were happening and had to plug I some holes with Mitch. Yeah, The option to, to bring in your know, memory and, and yeah. Hayes as well gives you that flexibility to run Owens through Correct. the middle more. Which um, is where he'll end up, yeah. That's right, that's right. Yeah. And Josh even pointing out that Filippo, potentially that big body midfielder, look, yes, probably not yet. Um, he's been fine this year, Filippo, certainly. I think he needed a rest at some stage, but nothing wrong with what he's done this year. But, yeah, maybe not quite ready to transition into the middle. And Steve, you're probably right, suggesting that Sharman might do a job on Vloston and then potentially Tom Stewart next week. Yeah, that, that's probably the way to go. And hmm. a few others that I'll, I'll sort of throw around Shay just asking about plans B and C look I guess that was evident but the telling question for her was where can we find leadership we we desperately lack and obviously that was linked to Jack Steele's form H I guess that was a disappointing takeaway was that we didn't have anybody grab the game by the the nuts I guess in the last quarter when it was um slipping away from us yeah as I was saying earlier that, that was the disappointing thing the leaders mm. the leaders were pretty much the first one to drop off and yeah that they should be the last ones that we, we lose on the day. They should be the last ones who have pretty much cooked. Um, it's we, we don't need to be trying to win a game when our best players are all 18, 19, 20 years old. Mm. And it's not going to win your games of football, especially against a, a, a form team. Um, as I said, they did the job in the first half for some reason, just couldn't continue it on. I mean, it's 
whether they were just absolutely cooked from their first half and they just had nothing left. Um, is the season has been that telling, or it, it it just I know they were just sapped and they couldn't give anymore, and um, it, it's yeah hard to tell what actually went on there. Whether yeah, whether, whether there was just nothing left in anyone, and it was hard. As saying, if Mitchie goes down the middle of that after that stage as well. Is is that what we needed that at that point? Him in the middle to, just, yeah, just running, and 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 that's basically what we could have done. But he still needs that support from those bash and crash players in the middle of Steele and Crouch. And I mean, we could we could have thrown a maybe even a Butler into the middle at some point, just just to change it up. Just if they're that tired in the middle, throw him in there. It, it's it's. You've got to try things when things aren't working. And that that's goes back to, I guess, that question just above there as well, the plan B and C. I mean, I think it felt like we went back to plan A when plan B had been one that was working for most of the day. We went back to the old, old what we were doing previously and wasn't working. So, yeah, we should have stuck to plan B by the looks of it. There's, there's a clear void I think in in leadership and, and it's been spoken about a lot over the last few days as, as we know and it's not it's not a crack at Jack Steele I think Jack Steele is a good leader you know he leads by example he's not a huge voice he doesn't talk a lot he doesn't yell you know but but he drags other blokes alongside him and on his back and he's certainly carried our team on his shoulders a number of times over the last four or five years and so this isn't a crack at, at Jack Steele but when Guys like Steele and Crouch, who's a, again a senior leader, who's who leads by performance, leads by um, expectation, leads by uh, requirement, just by doing his job is being a leader. When those two guys aren't performing to expectation or aren't able to perform to expectation, whether it's being tagged out of the game, whether it's injury and soreness and whatever, like it seems to be the case in in Jack's um, in Jack's case. You know, we, we do miss that other option of someone who's able to you know, provide a voice and provide that kind of whatever it is. I think we've, we've spoken about how we've seen that we miss Dougal Howard when he's not there and it's a structural thing, but I think there is a bit of that straighten up, you know, kind of you know, really loud vocal um, presence in defence. But I think also we, under, we underestimate the loss of Tim Embry all year mm. we've seen for a period of time when things need to change it's often been tim Embry, and i i've said for a couple of years i don't think it was brett ratton making changes to swing tim Embry back i think that was tim Embry identifying something and going back and carrying himself as a leader to you know make a decision make a change make a call and go and do something about it uh, and i think that we've we've lacked that as well and i think We've underrated Tim Embry. I think we've underestimated the impact of missing Tim Embry has had on our list. And I think, you know, when when you when you're missing guys like Steele and Crouch, or they go missing like they did in that final quarter, someone like Tim Embry, who can identify a lack of something or something that needs to change and something that he needs to impact, I think that was a huge void. And and 
I, I hope that we see him back for the last few weeks of, of the season, if it is our last few weeks of the season, because I think I think it would be a good way to kind of recognise what he brings to the footy club when he's back. Def- definitely. And, and look, a few of the others there, St. Twitter FC in regards to the captaincy, I'll talk about that in a minute. Greg, really like the, the nature of the question in regards to the retire trade one more year, but just might stick a pin in that. Um, just until we, we see what does happen in the next few weeks, but then revisit it. The one thing I'll say on the steel thing, look, Wilkie's carried himself fine as a leader, um, no problems at all, and, and people are right with what they've said about Jack, and it was an incredibly disappointing last quarter on the weekend, but he kind of reminds me a little bit of um, what Patrick Cripps went through a couple of years ago where he was carrying significant injuries, could barely move, Carlton were, were battling a little bit, he was carrying them through the middle, he was banged up, he wasn't getting as much of the ball as he normally did, he was trying to lead the team and people were asking those questions thinking, well, you know, is his best footy past him, is he the right man to lead them given, you know, he's not getting as, as much of the footy as he used to do. The reality was he was playing hurt and playing injured and, and not getting a lot of support and I think Jack this year, as much as he hasn't been necessarily as brilliant as he was in 20 or 21 or even parts of last year, he's carried a couple of shoulder injuries. He's carried a bung knee. He's been coming back early from those injuries under duress. He's been playing with pain. He's played games out with injury. He carried us over the line in a couple of games earlier this year. Um, I think we can be a little bit critical. I know he's not got the booming presence and the voice and all of that sort of stuff. But I think his courage in the face of adversity is the type of leadership that we've probably needed this year, to be honest. So, um, yeah, I think Jack's, I think we've just got to allow Jack to get a run at it and just say, look, mate, you've, you've been an absolute warrior. Have a preseason where you're not hurt, get a bit more support around the middle and do your thing from there. So, um, yeah, I think, I think we've just, we've got to give, Jack a little bit of a pass based on all that he's had to deal with, I think. I think the question is not whether Jack's a good enough leader to be the captain mm. of our footy club, but if he's not right and yeah. he's not able to be Jack Steele, mm. should he be playing? That's the like, question. There's, yeah. there's, a, there's A, what is best for the team. Because he'll Jack's play if he cut off his Jack, arm. Yeah. That's right. But And, and you, you want Jack Steele in your team every week mm. because he does bring all those intangibles that, that you want – from a, a leader, right? Like it's it's not the voice, it's not the presence, but it's the things that he does on the field. It's the chasing, the harassing, the tackling, the one percenters, the pressure, you, all that sort of stuff. He does all that at elite at an elite level. And so, a there's the there's the the, the team thing. Like obviously, you want Jack Steele out there, but if he's not able to be Jack Steele, is it more of a hindrance to the team? But then at a, at a, at an even higher level, we talk so much about duty of care for individuals now and whether it's head injuries or whatever it is. But if a guy's not right and clearly for much of the year, Jack Steele hasn't been right. Should he be out there? It's a catch 22 because obviously the, the Sydney game and the North game, if he doesn't play in the last quarter, we lose both of those games. Mm-hmm. Um, but then obviously you get the counter when it doesn't work, like on Sunday, it's you know pivotal to us getting overrun in the game. So yeah, you'd hope you're right with all of that duty of care um, and you don't want him to end up with something that he carries for a couple of years and loses a yard of pace. And I know there's even that talk around him trimming down a little bit when he was always a bit more of a bull, whether that sort of suited him to play that way. But, yeah, I think that you, you weigh up inspiration versus output and on the most part he's probably come out okay. But, yeah, we'll, um, we'll see what the next few weeks does hold and hopefully – 
the start of the finals because um, I think Craig O'Brien hit the nail on the head a little bit earlier. I want to touch on that a bit later. That um, I think because we expect bad things, we, we plan for them a little bit. And, and look, we've, we've been right most of the time, but we'll see. Um, H, did you want to kick us off with the, the Jason Blake award? It might be tif- difficult to find in a match like yeah, that, or maybe I, there's an obvious one. I gave him a vote earlier, but yeah, I think the work Josh Battle's done in in the mm. um, absence of Dougal has been pretty big. Um, he's yeah stepped up pretty well, and over the last few weeks done the job quite well. And um, yeah, hopefully he can continue that on because yeah he's got some pretty big jobs coming up so yeah keep it going nick um it is it is a tough one it is a tough one um i wanted to give it to cooper shaman i know it wasn't his best game he didn't have the the highlights i think he flew a couple of times in the first half but again didn't didn't bring it down but um i think the role that he's been playing has been a little bit of a more selfless role than what we've come to see from from Cooper over the last couple of years in that he has been taking that defender out of the game. That's been his role is to nullify the impact of a, an intercept mark defender. Uh, we saw him do it to incredible effect against Sicily a couple of weeks ago. Um, and I think that he's understanding more about his own football IQ. And I think that the coaching staff is utilising that to really good effect at the moment. It doesn't always show up on the stat sheet. It doesn't always show up on the scoreboard. But, you know, when you can nullify a really key impact player like he's done over the last probably four to five weeks um, and become a really important part of our structure, um, because it because it doesn't hit the stat sheet that often, um, I think we've, we kind of gloss over his impact. But uh, he's been he's been really good for the last month. Yeah, I'd agree. I think he's been really important for us. Um, Hunter Clark for mine, I think his month back in the side each week has been a little bit better than the one before. He was a sub against the Gold Coast, had an impact, a bit quiet against North but was okay late, played a solid game against Hawthorne and then was one of our best in the first half against Carlton. Kept working hard, laid 10 tackles. So I think his month back he's been building uh, pretty nicely and he's a, an important player for us even with a, a little bit of upside the Shannon Noll Award, mine's probably collectively, I know I just mentioned Hunter Clark, but mine's collectively for the midfield. I think Ross, I mentioned a few weeks ago that Ross Lyon doesn't say things by accident and he said in the press conference without being prompted that our midfield was spluttering. Um, and I think that was after we beat West Coast, maybe. Um, and he was talking a bit about that. Um, our midfield was exposed massively in that second half. Uh, that's where we lost the game, to be honest. Our forwards didn't score, but we didn't get the footy down there, and our defence held up as much as they could, only conceded 10, but we got absolutely murdered in the middle. So, um, yeah, I know they've had some personnel changes with Jones injured and Hill's gone in and out, and obviously Steele's sore and Ross is injured, and I think we've actually missed Seb, to be honest, as another body in there as much as he's got his limitations. But, yeah, that midfield group... Um, uh, we'll, we'll lose every game if they play like that. So, um, yeah, they certainly need a lift. H, um, anything for you? Um, I, th- I think we just got to go back to um, similar players that we've been looking at for weeks on weeks now. There's a few probably, I don't know, last chances for a couple of players. That Ryan Bird's been quiet for a few weeks now. He's, he's probably got to pick himself up and get going again um, if he wants to keep his position if we do manage to make finals. You've got um we need Max King to 
get back into it. He, he's back in the team. He's basically having a last crack for this year before he'll go get his shoulder looked at again. So, I mean, he's come back in under the guise that he's right to play. So hopefully we can see that, yes, that is the case. He's not struggling with the shoulder. He's not being a liability up forward. It's um, basically the right decision to be playing him. Um, and, yeah, just the – I guess maybe the team, do we, the coaches, the, the selection team, the looking at the players like um, Filippo and – the, a couple of the other young players are going, just, just are they right to be playing right now? So just, just a combination of players on their last possible legs for the season and selections. We've got a couple of big weeks coming up. They need to be right. So yeah, let's hope that what the team we put out in the field is the right team to do the job that we need to be done. Yeah, well, there, I think there's a few. There's a few from from the weekend, and, and the obvious one is Jade Gresham, as we've been talking about throughout much of the year in the last couple of years. Um, you know, the midfield group as as a whole, like you said, Parco, um, maybe a little bit harsh, and and go Mason Wood. I, I gave him two votes because I think he was still probably our best player, uh, or at least one of our best couple. But this comes down to moments, and there was a patch of about eight minutes uh, in the first half of the third quarter where he did all the hard work and, you know, would take an intercept mark or would win his own ball and then in the same play, turn it back over. And we were struggling to win the ball. We were struggling to get our hands on it and to keep up with Carlton at that point and to give them easy ball back, easy possession back across half back or the centre of the ground was a killer, especially when it happened multiple times in a, in a short period. And I thought that was the biggest single thing that we as a team did that lost us the game was we just gave up control of the ball when we were already struggling to win it, but then time after time we gave it back to him. And so I think Mason Woods had a fantastic year um, and just a little bit over the last month or so, um, has let himself down in moments, whether it's not holding a, a, a mark at fullback, like an intercept mark at fullback, or uh, getting two hands on the ball at the top of the goal square and, and dropping it, um, or missing a tackle, or or like in this case where it was just in a six or seven minute period, turning the ball over three or four times in, in a really important part of the, the ground. Um, yeah, there's, there's just been a few little things that have crept into his game over the last month or so. Yeah, and I think that points to that lack of maturity where we had chances to re-control the game or settle things down and just never took them. We'd rush, we'd miss chances, we'd you know turn the ball over when we didn't need mm. to play on and just little things like that that was just crucial. When composure was required and, and we were the side ahead in the game, I guess that's so St Kilda, I don't know if anyone has any other than... Richmond rolling everyone back this week. Um, no, I mean, yeah, if Blake Aikens is retired, being best on ground last week. Yeah, first time he's kicked multiple goals since he kicked two and a quarter for us against the Giants in 2017. So, um, yeah, nice of him to do that against us for the first time in uh, in six years. But um, yeah, be the yeah. whole thing of um, if Cochin retires and then all of a sudden Jack mm. Jack Riot goes, "No, I'm retiring too," and. <laughs> 
Um, I know they Hopefully can they announce, wait for a home announce game, their new coach this week as McWalter. <laughs> I mean, plenty of things they could do just to stuff the whole week up for us, I'm sure. What I'm hoping they do is, I mean, they play Port in the last round, but they play North at home next week. So you'd think mm. they'd announce it. That's when it, yeah. Home game. And a home game they'll win for for sure. So you'd think they'd um wait for that. Leave it but for them. You never know. <laughs> you never know. They might want to cook us. But hopefully Jack's got in the back of his mind, oh, you know, it's Matty's match. I'll leave that alone this week and do that all next yeah. week whilst this match has got its own attention. But we'll see. Um, I guess my final thoughts would be, and look, I know it's been a frustrating couple of weeks and we're, we're programmed to deal with that level of disappointment. But the reality is, you know, we've spent 21 consecutive weeks in the eight. We're still there now. There's three to go. We're effectively still in control. That was a bad loss to Carlton, probably the worst of the year in terms of how it felt and, and what it did for us. But I reckon post-mortems and reflection are for when it's done and it's not done yet. Um, you got Richmond on Sunday. You win that game. You stay in the eight. You could potentially be as high as fifth if results go according to plans. Again, a fortnight out from the finals. So... My attitude has always been one of absolute defiance in this situation. It's like we are in the ace, and if you want the spot, come and get it. Uh, I, I don't believe in – there seems to be a mindset amongst fans going, oh, you know, what's the point of making it? Or here we go again, we're shit again and all of that. And that may well be right, but it hasn't happened yet. So the, the reality of the situation is go to Marvel, go to wherever you're watching it, get behind them, try to drag them across the line against Richmond and fight on for one more week. It's not done. So just dig in and keep the season alive, keep going. I would mount a very, very strong case that we deserve to make the eight ahead of a lot of those sides below us on the ladder. Don't just let them take the spot. Hold on uh, and just see what you can do. If you get bounced out in the first week, the experience for kids like Filippo and Caminiti and Owens and Windhager is invaluable. Do not give up without a fight. On that same vein, I think as well, like you'd, Finals is is in our own hands. Exactly, you know, we play some good footy. We we win win one, two more games, then then we're in the finals. And and mm. where we should, like you said, where we should mm. be. If you'd said uh, in our preseason preview that at round twenty two, heading into round twenty two, we will have been in the eight every single week the of the entire season. Entire season, yeah. I would have said you are crazy. Yeah, you are crazy, and mm. so. You know, we, we have performed above expectation. Uh, we deserve to be where we are because we've won enough games to be where we are. That is that is the simple reality. Uh, the other point is, you know, like you said, Parker, what's the point of making the eight and getting bounced in the first week? There's a, there's a distinction between finishing bottom three and getting a top three draft pick or finishing ninth or tenth and getting a mid first round draft pick. And if if the option was to finish seven or eighth or finish ninth or tenth, I'm taking seventh or eighth every time. Oh. Every time. Yeah. yeah. And why would you and you time. don't necessarily get bounced because all of those sides are vulnerable. That's right. Like That's if you right. finish And we've beaten half of them. Exactly. We've and if you finish fifth or so. sixth or seventh, you get another one of your own selves anyway. Like you get the Bulldogs yeah. or um Geelong or GWS or Carlton or something like yeah. that. So it's not exactly an impossible task. And and we played, you know, regardless mm. of what happens, we played pretty good football against Collingwood in Adelaide. We played pretty good football against Port. We've played some pretty good football against a bunch of teams that are going to be in, in or around the finals. So mm-hmm. anything can happen week to week. And we've seen it for decades. Yep. 
just don't give up would be the, uh, the, the key theme out of that. The season is still very much in your hands. <laughs>